Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, we are in a series entitled More Jesus from Beginning to End. And we're seeing how God works through the gospel of Jesus Christ for more in our life. And, and our kind of that qualifying catchphrase has become, to know God is to long for more Jesus. And I hope and pray that throughout this study of 1 Thessalonians, we are cultivating a desire that is ever more deeply in you to know Jesus more and to experience more of him in your life. A couple of weeks ago, in this series, I began kind of a sub-series of chapter 2 and 3 on asking the question, what is more? I mean, if, if you talk about more, it's, it's in rel- uh, relationship to something, right? M- more is relative. So what are we talking about when we talk about more? Well, I, I wanted to ask, how do we identify? Because I want to help people understand when, and be able to recognize when, when they are growing more in God's likeness, when God is speaking more to them and, and, and pouring out more of himself upon them. You know, I've been convicted as I prepared for this about how many people share with me uh, how many spiritual decisions they make that make significant uh, influence, that exercise significant influence over their life. And, and those decisions are made on really nothing more than just a feeling alone. And, and, and they're going, I wasn't sure what to do with it. So this is what I felt. That's what I decided. And while I've, I, 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 emotions and feelings alone are never spiritual markers for discernment for us, but they do serve as spiritual thermometers to tell us, to, to indicate for us the need for greater discernment. And that's what we're looking at here because God does want you to know more. God doesn't want your relationship, your walk with him, just to be something that you're constantly kind of feeling around in the dark on. But he wants you to know it. He wants you to experience all that he has for you. And we're talking about how grace from God produces evidence in our life of his more as we live by faith to obey and to follow Jesus. And so we're surveying what the evidence of grace looks like, though sometimes it remains unseen, right? And I began two weeks ago talking about how we can understand more by five trajectories And to today, we've covered four of those trajectories. I want to talk to you for a moment why I chose this idea, though, of trajectory. Trajectory. It's important to help us understand. A trajectory, as most of us know, it's it's just the curve of flight of something. It's the path of travel from the point of origin to its destination. And it's just simply an analogy to, to help conceptualize and to understand God's more. How it is that we can press on knowing God is working and holding to him in that work. And I want you to remember where God met you in this, where that point of origin was, when he met you in your helpless state and and in your sin, wherever you come from, uh, and and, uh, know what God has done for you in Jesus and where he's brought you. I want to remind you that, that whatever you've been through, to never forget all that God's done to save you and to redeem you, because God wants to use that in your life 
in our reading. Incidentally, shameless plug here, if you haven't picked one of these up, I want to encourage you to pick one of these up. The last few are on the tables in the South and the North community rooms. This is 50 reasons why Jesus came to die. We want our whole church to be reading through this throughout this season leading up to Easter. They're two pages each. Each day reminds us and teaches us about why Jesus died for us. And the, the um, number 15, reason number 15 that begins this week. Listen to what the author says. Being sanctified means that we are imperfect and in process. We are becoming holy, but are not yet fully holy. And it is precisely these and only these who are already perfected. The joyful encouragement here is that the evidence of our perfection before God is not our experienced perfection, but our experienced progress, trajectory. The good news is that being on the way is proof that we have arrived. That's good stuff, friends. That's good stuff. And that good stuff will give you something to talk about when you move from pray to invest to engage with the people that God is laying on your heart. For Christian, trajectory traces the path of God's more for you. It is the testimony of our faithful witness as we live for Jesus and as we share him with all people. I hope and pray that throughout this you will be careful not to hear some demand of performance pressure placed upon you or some weight of expectation that's being given to you, but rather these trajectories are our lives being transformed into the likeness of Jesus here and now that reflects what shall be perfectly in eternity. And when you consider your Christian growth and maturity, I want you to remember this, as the author said, where you are headed is more important than where you are standing. Experienced process, trajectory. And so we began with five trajectories that evidence God's grace being produced more in you. And that first trajectory, let me just uh, review these first four very briefly for us. That first trajectory was a humble conviction that produces deep affection. God's grace produces more by nurturing us in his love from a humble conviction in who Jesus is to a deep affection for him whom we serve and even to those whom we are sent. Paul says this, I came to you because I was convicted of what God wanted us to do. But what ended up happening was a deep, desirous affection for you that grew. The second trajectory of our life that we experience God's more is a faithfulness that produces fruitfulness in life. Faithfulness in the Christian life holds the distinct purpose of producing gospel fruitfulness, of holiness, of righteousness, and of godliness. And faithfulness that is demonstrated through our practice is good and healthy and right, but fruitfulness for the gospel in our life only flows through relationship with Jesus. And to the one who remains faithful unto fruitfulness, God gives more. God gives more. The third trajectory we looked at was a receptiveness to God's word that produces perseverance and obedience. A receptiveness to God's word that produces perseverance 
in obedience. Paul tells the Thessalonians that the reason God was able to do more in you was because you received the word of God as what it really was, God's word. God's word. That's faith, friends. And God's word strengthens us for whatever we face so that perseverance and obedience is able for us while God brings about his will in us and through us. When you receive God's word by faith, you persevere in his work because he is working in you. The fourth trajectory that we looked at was a sacrifice of obedience that delights in the joy of gospel glory. Romans 12, 2 tells us that our lives as Christians are living sacrifices. And when we persevere in obedience, we are certain that any sacrifice we make will produce greater delight in the joy we receive from God for his glory and for our good. My prayer is that I hope you see the evidences of your life tracking on these paths or trajectories and that you recognize that because God is at work in you by the gospel, you are moving towards his more. Well, today I want you to see trajectory number five. The fifth and final trajectory is simply this. It is a greater portion measured by a deeper dwelling. A greater portion measured by a deeper dwelling. And here's really that big idea that I want us to grab hold of today. That God marks a life with more of his glory by an all-consuming presence of love, faith, and hope. God marks a life with more of his glory by an all-consuming presence of love, faith, and hope. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. And we're going to work all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 13. But I'm, I'm going to read as we work through it, if you will, today. So I'll begin reading in verse 6 through verse 8. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, Paul writes, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So Paul's been responding to this report that he received from Timothy of all of the more that God was doing in Thessalonica after they left He's encouraged by these words, obviously, because what they wanted to see was even greater than what they foresaw before they got there, right? But he's also comforted. Comforted in what? Because as we have traced his steps through his second missionary journey, Acts chapter 16, through about halfway through chapter 18, we've seen that when Paul and his companions have gone into a city to preach the gospel, they've been beaten, they've been threatened, they've been accused falsely, they've been run out of town, and it didn't seem as though on outward appearances their ministry was having the impact that they had hoped for. But in fact, quite the opposite was taking place. And so Paul says, we are comforted by the news of all that God has done among the Thessalonians. And he states this in verse 8, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. 
When Paul hears the good news of their faith and of their love and, and, and this report of the mutual affection that has taken place, life is literally breathed into his spirit even though his body is beaten, is weak, is tattered and, and, and torn. You see, friends, a gospel testimony brings strength from the Lord like life to our soul. The potency of a gospel testimony in ministries is very difficult to over-articulate. In my hardest moments, in the heaviest seasons of pastoring, of planting the church, and even some of the darkest situations uh, that we've had to endure, God has used the testimonies of people's faith Uh, of the love as a source of strength to our soul. So when when Paul says that that for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord, I, I get that. In prayer, the Lord has used faces without words, just the images. Put names upon our hearts and, and before our mind just to simply say this, to remind us. But in that encouragement to comfort us with what he is doing. Again, and again, though I I do not pretend that my life has been anything like Paul's, for sure. Uh, It has not. But in all my distress, by the mutual affection of the body of Christ, the Lord has comforted and strengthened me time and time again. Friends, I would say to us this. This is the true value of Christian community that cannot be replaced with anything else in your life. Kristen and I have spent the last six weeks with community groups talking about this very life and how this mutual affection known as fellowship and the sharing of life mutually in the church is so potent for your life individually as a Christian. For in the fellowship of the church is where the mutual sharing of life together brings this kind of life to your soul and to your spirit every week? No. For we have a lot of trouble seeing what's going on often in the moment and the immediacy of it, do we not? But when we look back, and I hope you're looking back over these trajectories, I hope you're looking back at where you've come from, where you got started, and how far God has brought you in each of these realms, in each of these ways, When you live in Christian community with other believers, investing your life to to strengthen and to grow others, a a mutual affection and a mutual testimony of God's work becomes a strength for your soul, yea, even a life for you. How potent it is. And that's what Paul is telling us. He's recalling the story of redemption in Thessalonica that formed what became known as the Thessalonian church. And so verse 9, go back with me to the text and, and see what he says. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we might see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. This is a yearning, friends. This is a desire of Paul. Paul's not questioning if there is any thanksgiving to offer to God. He's already identified that thanksgiving. Actually, he's resonating that thanksgiving, and he's saying, oh, that we would be able to return to you 
and to supply anything that you're lacking. In other words, to be able to minister in such a way so if there is anything that we could provide from you, it would be the greatest joy and delight of our life to serve you so that you could be more comforted, more strengthened, and more enabled and equipped to serve the Lord in your faith. He prays for that which he most desires for the Thessalonians, to know all that God not only had done, but that what God was doing. And it forms his highest thanksgiving to God for the Thessalonians. This is the capstone of Paul's desire for the Thessalonians. It's the essence of the more that God wants to do among them and among you. And it is this, to produce more love, more faith, and more hope in them. That's his prayer, friends, a greater portion that pervades more deeply into each person. That's what trajectory number five is all about. You see, the gospel is not simply held more strongly by us. So we become better Christians when we hold the gospel more strongly. But rather... When it has a stronger hold on us because Jesus resides more deeply in us. You see, friends, in the Christian life, you learn this, that when you've held as long and as strong as you can and your grip is fleeting and failing, that's when you learn his grip on you is greater than it's ever been. When our strength comes to an end, his strength in us has just begun. That's what Paul is teaching them here. The Christian life is not simply that which we hold to, but that which holds us in greater portion and in deeper dwelling in our being for life. I want you to understand trajectory number five, a greater portion that comes through a deeper dwelling. I'm going to give you three realms that Paul identifies for this greater portion that exists in a deeper dwelling in you. Realm number one is more determined by a deeper dwelling in the realm of godly love. Look at verse 11 and 12. This is Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. Now may, the, uh, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you, make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Realm number one, where God wants a greater portion to give to you and a deeper dwelling in you is the realm of godly love. Friends, love is the motivation for all of God's work for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it is the foundation of our life in Jesus. Because he has loved us, we can love. What we know about how we relate to and how God leads us all begins with his Love. The love of God is the greatest, is it not? There's a whole chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter, right? And what is that about? Marriage vows? Yes, but not in the way we think of it. Marriage vows between the groom who has come 
and the bride who is being made ready. The love of God is the greatest. And 1 John tells us that he lavishes it on us to consume us to the greatest depths of our being. For the perfect love of God consumes his followers to increase and to abound, Paul says, in two ways. In love for fellow believers, but also in love for all people. He wants it to be a greater love, not only in its size, in its measurement, but also in its depth and in its gravity, so that it might hold us more tightly together in our love for one another, but it, that might also send us farther in telling those who are farther away from God about his love. There is no love for God where love for other Christians and love for other people is absent. Friends, this is critical, essential to the Christian life. And from the very first teaching of this church in our covenant membership class, we tell you that this is the gospel. It's not just about you loving God and performing for him, but the more God loves you, it is demonstrated in your life as faithful and true by the way you love other people. And that's what Paul is teaching us here. There's only one reason why love for other people does not abound in and from our life it's because the love of God is not increasing in us. You see, friends, the deeper God's love penetrates into your soul. Remember, we're on a trajectory here. So, so you learn about God's love and you, you realize how much God loves you. And you're just overwhelmed by that. You, you're just captivated by that, right? But, but you quickly realize that I can't just hold all of this. Right? We, we're not just poured into by God to be filled up, but to what? To overflow. And as God pours into us, it overflows. So the deeper God's love penetrates into our soul, the farther your love for others will reach, and specifically to people that are not like you at all. To people that when you love, you don't get loved at all. We're good at loving people who love us well. Are we not? Those people that have nothing to offer us, it's a little harder for us to love. Why? Because it's all outgoing. you got to really trust the source if you're going to love others sacrificially in that way. The deeper God's love penetrates into your soul, the stronger it will extend to others in the sacrifice you make to show that love. He must increase, I must decrease. Right, and, and the greater God's love is taking hold of you at a deeper level, not only will the farther you go to those less and less like you until you've gotten to those nothing like you, but the stronger you'll be willing to make that sacrifice in order to show that love to them. And the deeper God's love penetrates into your soul, hear me, the more generously you will offer it to others with no need for any return. Why? Because that's the way God loved us. He loved us first. He loved us most. He loved us true. He loved us in an everlasting way. And when we are genuinely captivated by the love of God, we love others in the way He has loved us. Look at your life and ask, Christian, 
Am I loving people more in the way God has loved me? Realm number one reminds us that more of God's love tells us that the depth to which God's love is pervading into our life determines the extent to which God's love abounds from our life. The depth to which it pervades into our life is what determines the extent to which it overflows and abounds from our life. You say, well, Pastor, what do I do if I find out that I'm really not loving people the way God has loved me? Do I try harder? Well, maybe in some ways you could, but don't start there. Go back to the Lord. Go back to the cross where his love was you was perfect for his love where his love for you, excuse me, was perfectly displayed. And let him fill you. Don't try to love people out of your own energy. It'll fall short in every way, every time. But let him remind you of how much he has loved you. And let your love for others overflow out of where you are in learning about your own love and how God has loved you. Friends, I, shamelessly twice, I guess, that's why I think something like this can be so potent for us. I don't want you to just go and do. I want you to be reminded of what God has done. Because there's not anything in this world that will stop that. The second realm that we see today in this greater portion and deeper dwelling is that more is determined by a deeper dwelling of obedient faith. Obedient faith. Look what Paul says in this prayer. Verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Blameless and holiness. I, I'm telling you, when you ask somebody to describe themselves to you, these aren't two typical words that they quickly use, are they? And if they are, immediately we're all uncomfortable and a little suspicious. Right? Well, first of all, I guess what I would want you to know about me is I'm blameless and holy. Okay, that's really all I need to know about you. God bless you, or, or you bless God, however you may see that. Right? No. But, but that's what Paul says. He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God. God's love establishes our hearts in Jesus to stand blameless before God. Wow. Friends, what power God places within us by Jesus that erases the full effect of sin upon us. When we receive God's forgiveness and when we are cleansed from sin's guilt and, and from sin's shame, we are set free to live now in this life that is abundant to the full, John writes. The more deeply our heart is established in God's love, the more true will our walk be in his holiness. Why? Because there is no guilt, there is no blame, there is no condemnation that's pressing us a different direction. Rather, we've been set free to run after the only one who has washed us and cleansed us in his forgiving power. And friends, that's faith. That's only faith. 
It is not accomplishment. It is not achievement. Faith that sets us free from sin releases us from its power. For a life of increasing faith it is not about the absence of temptation, but it is about the shifting of where you battle that temptation. That, that's faith, friends. Some of you are beat down because you face the same temptations over and over, and those temptations win more often in your life than you believe they should. But friends, when faith is increasing in us and when it is deepening its dwelling in us, it doesn't mean that the temptations will never exist. Rather, it means that we are recognizing them at an earlier place. It means that we see where they are sourced from and we run from those places. We flee youthful lust. We stay away from those sources that most deeply tempt us. We shut it off. We turn it off. We run from it. We remove it from our life. Wherever that temptation is sourced, we begin to fight it at its source instead of fighting it at its action. That's maturity. Because when faith is deepening in you, it doesn't mean that you're just jumping higher or farther. But you are fighting sin's temptation earlier. You will never get rid of temptation in this world because the angel of this world, the evil one, it is his complete existence purpose to throw it at you. But there isn't anything he can do to stop you from overcoming it. We are overcomers because the one who died for us and in whose life we live has already overcome. The head of that serpent has been stepped on and he is in the process of twisting it to kill it once and for all. That's what faith is all about, friends, seeing it. Faith leads us to confront the things of our life that we've dismissed as not that big of a deal to us. Just don't think this is that big of a deal. Then why does it keep hammering you? I can remember when uh, in my junior high years, uh, I had a science teacher who in the 60s told us he was a chain smoker. And, and he told us how uh, um, science began to prove that smoking led to cancer and how he became deeply convicted about that. And as a scientist, he read more evidence and more evidence and how the conviction of his own life, that what he was doing to his body, and he was a believer, so that was part of his process. He, he, he said, I just began to realize what I'm doing to myself and, and I had to stop this and it was hard and I fought it, but eventually I was able to overcome it. And he said this, he said, those people that I understand are most addicted to that habit are the ones that initially say, I could stop anytime I wanted. Because friends, if you've ever been addicted to anything, here's what you know. If you could, you would have already done it. Those things in your life that are not benefiting you, but they're present, sometimes you like them, sometimes you load them. They never really are great blessings to you. They're just not that big of a deal to you. That's what you find yourself continuing to tell God. 
Let me tell you, right there is a point where your faith is shallow and weak. Why won't you believe that? That what God wants to give you when he removes and purges that from you is immensely greater than anything that will ever provide for you. Faith also leads us to confront that in our life which we view as unconquerable. Oh God, I couldn't do this. Right? It, it's the small pebbles that trip us up. It's the mountains we think we could never climb and conquer. Faith, friends, faith. And, and I propose to you that it takes as much faith in potency and in measurement of greatness and in depth of dwelling and being to comp- conquer those things are not that big a deal to us as much as it does to conquer those things that are mountains before us. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to give you more. I got into backpacking a few years ago, and, and man, one of my first fears was getting out in the woods and, and thinking, I'm not going to have everything I need. So I took everything with me, kitchen sink included, or some form of it, right? And I realized, man, I'm getting to the bathroom at the trailhead, and I'm worn out, Right? Actually, what happened was I, I began to traverse along the trail, and you're walking along the trail. I said, man, somebody left some perfectly good hiking sticks there. I love, but those are a little heavy. I better not pick those up. A little further down the way, man, there's a water bottle. Somebody just lost their water bottle. I wonder if I picked it up and took it to them. Maybe I could give it to them later. It's empty, but that's still, those four ounces are just more than I could even bear to think of adding to my pack right now. And you go along the trail long enough, you realize, man, people are shucking weight. They're like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, it doesn't take you very long until the weight on your own back begins to make you think, um, what can I do without? <laughs> what can I part ways with? I've got to shed some weight if I'm going to survive. You see, faith in Jesus brings into focus the things that are hindering your forward progress. And sometimes when those things come into focus, we just think negatively of ourselves. Oh, I just can't do enough. But the fact of the matter is, the deeper faith dwells in you, the more clearly those things that are hindering your forward progress are going to come into focus. Not to condemn you, but to be confronted by you and by the faith that is in you. And faith in Jesus calls us to throw off those things so we can move ahead, so we can go further. We can sometimes go faster, but we can always go healthier. Hebrews tells us, let us throw off what so easily entangles so that we can run the race with endurance. Endurance. Faith in Jesus brings into clear focus those mountains that God leads you to climb for greater glory and the minutia that's just grinding away at your soul. An increase of faith never denies reality. And it's not without temptation. But rather it remains focused on the one who calls more than the fears, the insecurities, and the anxieties that are clamoring for your attention. We trust Jesus in his word by the power of Holy Spirit to walk where he is leading us in the convicting of our sin, in the conquering of our sin, in the overcoming of sin's effects and its temptations upon us, and in being transformed to walk in holiness and godliness because we're living evermore in the truth that we are blameless before Him. 
A measurable increase in faith is always evident when the deeper level and a greater extent of holiness defines the walk in your life. Are you wrestling, Christian, with anything that God is convicting you about throwing off in your life? Are you wrestling with anything that God is convicting you to put your foot on and begin to climb? Don't wrestle with it anymore. Rest in what he is calling you to do and follow him for the more. He is not wanting to deprive you. He wants to bless you. But you must trust him more than you trust yourself or anything else. Realm number two, more faith pervades in us when we throw off what entangles us by fighting it where it tempts us so that we obey not only in action but our desire for holiness completely consumes us. What are you longing for? Ask yourself that. What do you desire when no one else is around? When nothing else is playing or going on? Is there a longing for more Jesus? The third realm, Paul concludes, is that more is determined by a deeper dwelling of hope. Look at the end of verse 13. I'm going to read the whole verse. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Realm three is that more is determined by a deeper dwelling of hope. Hope forms the last realm because the coming of Jesus is the eternal focus of the Christian in life. When Jesus says that Christians are not of this world, even though we are in this world, he reminds us that this world is not our home. Our home is not on earth. For the Christian's citizenship, our home is his kingdom. And though we sojourn in the here and now in this world, it is not our hope, but our hope is anchored with him in eternity in heaven. And when Jesus saves, he changes our identity by transferring its origin from this world into him. In other words, he rescues us and transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son of light. And so friends, where we set and find our hope reveals where we root and seek our identity. You hear that? Where we set our hope, where we find our hope in those moments when it's most demanded reveals where it is that we are rooting our hope, where we are anchoring our lives, where we are seeking our identity. The more your hope rests in this world, the more you will find yourselves at odds with Jesus, specifically at odds with his word and the more you will be driven by the ups and downs of your life. If you like riding roller coasters, it'll be okay for a while because even sin is fun for a season. But I'm going to tell you what, the highs will not get as high. The whoopty just won't entertain anymore. But the lows will plummet in increasingly darker ways. And you'll wonder if you're ever going to climb out of them every time. 
But the more your hope rests in Jesus, the less this world feels like our home. So there's there's a disconnection sometimes. There's an awkwardness. And the less, though, we are destroyed by the struggles of this life. For the more our hope rests in Jesus, the more we are ruled by his word, and the more we are held by it because our hope is in him. In realm number three, more hope pervades within us. So we not only look to Jesus first to hold to, but the very thing we recognize as holding our life, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, is the sovereign hand of God. The order is important here, friends. The more you live secure in his love, the more you trust in all he says to you and leads you in. The more you trust to obey all Jesus leads you in, the more you will rest deeply in him as your eternal hope holds you. God marks a life with more of his glory by an all-consuming presence of love, faith, and hope. Let's pray.